create that your physical, psychological, and financial health are your true sources of wealth that must be safeguarded and optimized to achieve long-lasting happiness. Here, we'll discuss tactics on how you may self-actualize to reach the pinnacle of authentic masculinity by embracing true libertarian principles, arming yourself with red pill knowledge, as well as implementing the most up-to-date holistic health biohacks to optimize your health. Stop being a blue pill sheep, being led to slaughter by big government and the court system. Become an awakened man. Here's your host, Gregory. Hello everybody, this is Gregory and welcome back to another episode of The Awakened Man. I hope you're doing well today. Today we're going to talk about my evolutions on the institution of marriage. Now, great companion episodes of this would be, if you scroll back, on finding the unicorn. There's a three-part series on 30 red flags you must know before dating somebody. There's some other episodes on marriage. So look, marriage is so fraught with problems. I mean, and I would say most of these are due to Marxist infiltration. I mean, you look at Marxist infiltration of the sexual revolution. No one was asking for that. It's just like the transgender revolution. The, the, all these things were always top-down approaches. They were not like grassroots. Like, we need to liberate the women, you know, like the women were claiming for well, This is all top-down, Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, pushing Frankfurt School, all these things that, that pushed the sexual revolution, that pushed no-fault divorce, and so forth. These were all top-down things. And so if you look at, like, what the scripture says about, what God says about a man and woman coming together, it's not good for man to be alone. As a whole, the Bible is pro-marriage. We do have an episode here where some people will say that uh, the Bible is midtown. It's not. Look, if you look at 1 Corinthians 7, that chapter, I think St. Paul really fleshes it out. And he even says, look, he says, look, if you can control your loins and not have sex ever, it's perfectly fine to never marry. And he talks about the problems of being married and, and in particular to, to church leadership, how you are torn between your family and you're torn between uh, your responsibilities and duties as a spouse. And he says, if you can control your loins, don't marry. But if you can't control your loins, then you should marry. And you look at the book of Sirach, which is part of the Deuterocanonical books, it has a lot of great advice on marriage and how marriage can be, you know, like, like we know. Marriage can be edifying and great if you pick the right woman and horrific if you pick the wrong woman and there's other wisdom books in the Old Testament that talk about that as well you look at Ephesians, you look at 1 Peter, uh, other places in 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians um, 7 also gives advice about marriage and so we, we know that if you look at the New Testament examples from the epistles and what, what, what they are saying about a woman like what makes a good woman? It's it's consistently the same thing. Supportive of your husband, obedient, kind, charitable, virtuous, and things like that. So sacred scripture is telling women how they should behave. And two, it tells men how to behave as well. But then you look at what sacred scripture says women should be, 
And you look at the large majority of women in the West today, they're nothing like that. And they're, if anything, antithetical to what you're telling them. So if you go to a woman that you're courting or dating and say, hey, I want a woman who's virtuous and, and obedient and charitable and all these things, obedient, you know, you can start getting that because they've been so contaminated by feminism, radical feminism. Are you going to keep me shackled? I'm not, no, I mean, men and women are complement each other. They're born to complement each other. We each have gender norms. We're each individually strong in those particular gender norms. Those gender norms have worked forever. And they make sense. So, we know what the Bible says, and we see this played out in every culture. Look at Islam. It's the same thing. The women are supposed to be obedient, dutiful, blah, blah, blah. and you could say, okay, well, they take it to the extreme. But it's the same thing. Pretty much every major religion is not saying in their, in their sacred books, women be whores and treat their husbands with disrespect. No, they're not saying that. They're saying, be obedient, be virtuous. Don't cheat. Keep the marriage bed sacred, as it says at the end of uh, the Hebrews. At the end of Hebrews. So I mean, that's the goal. So you see this dichotomy, and this dichotomy didn't exist as much in any other century. Sure, where there are whores, there's always been women or prostitutes who worked at brothels and pagan prostitutes in the old days and ancient Rome. Sure. But as a whole, the large majority of girls, when they were quote debuted were virgins. And they were taught by their mother to be what? Obedient. How to be a good wife. Supportive. Virtuous. How to dress a certain way. Every century this was taught. Until the 60s. And then, you know, there was a great story and they said that 1968 was the year that America tried to kill itself. And so we're dealing with the fruits of the sexual revolution and later the you know, sex positive movement and, and so forth and all the changes in the court system as well. We're dealing with all that right now. And so there is this, this kind of dichotomy, especially if you are a Christian man, because the Bible is clear and we are wired to be united with a woman. We are wired that way, you know, sexually and anatomically we are, but again, it's not good for men to be alone. And when when this advice was given in, in sacred scripture, of course, women were different back then. That's not to say they weren't bad women. Again, if you read wisdom literature, if you read Psalms and Proverbs and, and Sirach, you'll see examples of how horrible it is to be with a, a wicked woman. You look at examples like Jezebel, for example, and Delilah. But as a whole, the large majority of women in 1960 were good, virtuous, dressed well, cared about their faith, and they wanted to be a good wife. They didn't want to work. They wanted to raise the kids. There was nothing wrong or anathema to say, I want to be a homemaker and raise children. Now that is the minority view. They'll be like, what's wrong with you if you want to do those things? But, so... What are you doing with? So most men want to have children. If you don't want to have children, then I think it makes it a lot easier than, than you know, you can do the, the kind of sinful, just short-term hookups and relationships and so forth. You can do that. Of course, I would tell you not to do that. Go to the episode we just did on not being a hypocrite. But there are certainly men, if they don't want to have kids, you know, they're going to live that kind of uh, hedonistic lifestyle. Most men 
unless they're incels, will not live according to 1 Corinthians 7 and just be a monk and choose to be a monk? So then now you're looking at marriage. Let's say you do want to get married. Let's say you want to have kids. You don't want to have kids out of wedlock. Or you don't want to go to Thailand and get a surrogate. I think we might have an early episode here on the three ways MGTOW men can have children. And one of them, of course, is going to be the traditional way where you get married. Just hope that you don't get divorce raped. The other one is going to be have a kid out of wedlock, which, of course, is not recommended because, uh, I mean, the benefits to that is that you get to limit the amount of money she can take from you because of the Best case scenario, you're doing 50-50 with no child support. Worst case scenario, you're paying 20% or whatever it is uh, for the kid. And then the third option, of course, is going to another country, getting a surrogate. She breeds out your baby, and then you have full custody of the baby. None of those are ideal. So let's say you want to get married. So now you're, you're dealing with this cognitive dissonance as a MGTOW man. Because as a MGTOW red pill man, you know all the pitfalls, all the pratfalls, all the dangers that are potentially coming your way. And a lot of them are enumerated in past episodes here. Shit tests. For example, constant. Even trad cons will be doing them all the time. Maintaining frame, maintaining your masculinity. I mean, there's women who are like, you know, like, like men would be like, okay, I work, you stay home, watch the kids, clean the house, cook the food. But a lot of women are like, oh, yeah, if I we get, we get women, I want to hire a maid. Or, you know, I'm not the best cook, so we'll get takeout. And men are like, woman, then what's the point of marrying you? What are you bringing to the table aside from the golden pea? Tradition, it'd be like me telling my wife if I was married, Hey, I'm gonna hire a man to work for me. I mean, that would be just incomprehensible. But when you're like, you know what, yeah, I'm gonna hire a woman out of your paycheck, typically, right? You're paying for that. Yeah, we're gonna hire a woman to clean the house. No, that is your job. Then what is your job? To stay home and watch the view and get fat? What's, what's your job as the man is at work? Assuming you guys don't have kids already, what is your job? I mean, traditionally, it'd be like take care of the house and, and make babies and you know, support the man when he comes home from work and all these things. But I mean, if you can't cook and you don't want to clean and tidy up, what, what, what is the incentive for a man to want to marry you? And you'll see this in the Chadcon world. Anyways, anyway, I should say, anyways is another word. Anyway. There are a lot of pitfalls to marriage because now you have to, now that you've decided to marry, now you have to vet. Go to the episode three part series of the third red flags you must know. There's more than just 30. So now you've got to go find a woman. Preferably, even if an atheist, I will tell you, find a Christian woman. But good luck on that. I mean, if you're 21, you know, maybe you can go to these traditional churches and find a woman who's a virgin, relatively a virgin, who actually does believe in gender norms. Whether it be Baptist, or Orthodox, or traditional Catholic, or whatever it is, you might find this. If you are a 40-year-old man, and you're on your second marriage, or even your first marriage, good luck. Because you're not going to get a 21-year-old woman, chances are. Right? So now you're dealing with women who've been riding the carousel. Women in their 30s, for example. 
are either divorcees, and we know statistically 90% of the time they initiate a divorce because most young women date college educated women. Even if they're not college educated, it's about 70%. So you're, de you're, you're dealing with women who have already broken up a family. They've already left a man. So what makes you think you're any different? Now, you know, before as well, maybe you make a lot more money than the first guy. And maybe if you combine that with masculinity, maintaining, frame, passing shit tests, maybe the marriage will work. Now, understanding marriage only has a 30% chance of not ending a divorce, the second marriage. But, you know, maybe it's going to work. And not to mention, out of the 30% where it doesn't end in divorce, you know, what percentage of those are happy? And they're not running out the clock. So now you want to go find a woman. So ideally, it's got to be a woman who hasn't really the care of because the studies are clear. The more sexual partners a woman has, the higher rate of infidelity, higher rate of divorce, higher rate of depression, mental health problems. Again, this is, this is why the sex-positive movement is so destructive to women in particular, but to men who marry them as well as a society in general. So you have to vet them now because, you know, you can put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. So how many of these women that you're meeting at your church, these divorcees, you're going to hear the story, right? Oh, my first husband, I didn't want to leave him, but he was what? Narcissistic or controlling, psychologically abusive, and he was a cheater, which meant he could have cheated or just watched porn, you know. And there's no way you're going to verify that. You're getting white-knighted because you want to fall in love with her. Chances are you are not going to go talk to the ex, and I would tell you to go talk to the ex, because they're going to give you insight, because right now you're getting demapped and white-knighted. But either way, at this point, you're going to want to believe her, so she can show up at your evangelical church with a Bible at, at some you know, singles group, and you think, oh my gosh, he's virtuous, and she's wearing a feminine dress, and she's got a Bible. Sold. I'm in. And in his stories, you ask about her bad story, and she's going to whitewash all that. Not to mention, you have to look at close to be personality disorders, borderline, she overly emotional, she histrionic, you're dealing with that. You know, you're, you're looking at outside warning red flags, outside red flags would be tattoos, obesity, excessive piercings, these are all outside um, signs of inward problems. So, many men will think, once they're dating again, that they found the unicorn. This woman is not like all the other women that I've met at bars. This woman will end up being a Karen. This woman won't leave me. She's a Christian. She believes in values, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, how do you know that? How do you know that? See, the thing is, the only way to really know if your woman won't leave you or is a traditional conservative or whatever is by signing the Faustine Pact because they can pull a bait and switch at any time. And certainly prior to signing the marriage contract, they can bait and switch on a lot of levels. Some of you guys want to bang, right? Okay, so your woman is just giving you endless sex, just crazy sex. I mean, I mean, how often do we see this, this trope? If you, want to get, if you don't want to have sex, then get married, right? That's the trope. So at the beginning, she's giving you all these things, and then once you get married, a lot of that goes away, especially after kids. Because remember, there's no competition anxiety now. You, she's your only recourse for sex, and she knows that. And there's other factors. Alpha becomes beta. You're failing shit tests, blah, blah, blah. But she can maintain this appearance of being... A trad con 
all the way through your courtship, and then when you get married, she can just flip. No, that's not all women would do this. But for all you guys who think you found a unicorn, she can just be like flip. Especially after the first kid, if she's got baby babies. And now you're dealing with your work she spends, you're dealing with waging, you're, you're dealing with disrespect, you're dealing with a messy house, you're dealing with a, 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 a woman who, you know, let's, let's be fair, men are wired differently than women, it's not good or bad, women are, are wired for Defoe's law, men are wired for beauty and fertility. So, I, I used to have this saying, it's like, think 25 years from now. When you're marrying at 28, what is your wife going to be like and look like at 50, 53? So I think for red pill men, going back full circle here, I think for, for red pill men who want to marry, you have this insane amount of cognitive dissonance. And I will tell you that I have this as well. I think any man does. Because part of you, especially if you're a Christian, but even if you're not, part of you wants to be with a woman. We are wired to be that way. To, to be a midtown monk is on one level contrary to our human nature, especially our concupiscent nature. So we are wired to want to be intimate with a woman. Not just like sexually intimate, but just holding each other, being psychologically intimate, and so forth. So you have this kind of wiring, this, this endogenous wiring on, on the left, so to speak. And then on the right, you're like, court system, bait and switch, Defoe's law, shit test, if she decides to divorce you, she's going to take your kids, your money, again, or the first time, if this is the first time you married. So you're dealing with this. And so some men, and I'm not going to judge when you do this, they see like MGTOW, I'm going to do MGTOW to 35. Like, I'm not going to get married, I'm going to elevate my SMV because that's going to increase my chances of my marriage being better. I'm going to age like fine wine, I'm going to work on myself, blah, blah, blah. these are all great things. And then when I'm 35, 40, then I'm going to marry and sign the Faustian Pact. I get that. I get that. Like, look at Roosh. Roosh V, right? So Roosh V was probably the most famous red pill guy out there during the Kings, you know, 10, 15 years ago, he was big, really big. And then he went to uh, Reinko, which is a Russian Orthodox church in America. He went pretty trad, trad earth. And he's kind of forsaken his red pill past, and he's apologized for it. So, I mean, you, you see that Go back to, to the other episode, just saying hypocrite. Is he a hypocrite for all these years of saying one thing and changing? No, because he's no longer doing that. I don't know if he's married or dating. I, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. So, it's a risk. So, the, the thing is this. Do you think it's worth the risk? And for those men who want to wait till they're 40, there's a lot of validity. You're elevating your S&D. If you have a high S&D and you stay, you stay relatively in shape, you could get a 30-year-old who hasn't been riding the carousel as much. But now you're closer to retirement. You're worth more. So if there's a divorce, you can take more. That's you know, the great divorce. That's what they call it. Of course, you can never sign a prenup and so forth. So 
It's a risk. So it's it's asset liability ledger. So the way you have to look at it is, is marriage today in America worth the risk? And you have to line that up with the actual wife prospect that you have after you've vetted her. Because she can tell you, I will never divorce you. I am a traditional conservative. I am a Christian. I believe in gender norms. I will give you sex. She will tell you all these things, and I'm not saying she's lying. Maybe she truly does that. We, we used to have an episode of how excessive expectations are the biggest destroyer of a marriage, and why well-intentioned brides fall out of love with their husbands. She could honestly think that. So, like in my case, would I remarry? I have an episode here like what qualities a woman would have if I were to remarry. It's probably about six months ago I did it, so scroll back. I'm torn. I'm ambivalent, as they would say. Because like everything I've just talked about right now, on one level I know better. But then you start unicorn building. You meet a woman, she's telling you everything, you want to hear she's actually doing some of these things. Let's say she's getting closer to her faith and she's only had a couple of sexual partners in her whole life, let's say, and you know, she shows a lot of virtue signaling. I mean I will tell you this, look, if you're if you're contemplating marrying somebody and she bans you on the second date, that's not a good sign that she's a virtuous woman. What is the alternative sign? The alternative sign would be better. A better sign is, hey, we're courting, we're not having sex until we're married. Now, a lot of you would be like, no way. But again, in the long run, that is a better virtue signaling sign. Now, there are risks to that. It can be sexually incompatible, she can be frigid, and she's hiding it from you, know, Lord knows what. But there's risk in everything. I think there's less risk in that than the woman banging you on the first or second date. She, she, she did that to you. She's done it to how many guys before you, even if she's remotely attractive? How many guys? So these are all things we have to take into consideration. So it's human nature to want to be with a woman, but then it's human nature to be like, well, it's not human nature. I think it's just through learned experience and wisdom from your past. You know, my ex used to say all these things. My ex would, would say, I would never divorce you. I'm not saying me in particular, but I'm just saying like, like you in general. You know, you're with a new woman and, and, and you know, she's telling you everything you want to hear, but then you, you flash back to 1998 or whatever, when you were with your 2005, whenever you were with your, your first, your ex-wife. And she's telling you the same thing. And look how that ended up. So what makes you think this is going to be any different? Now, it's not fair to the woman, or if you're a woman listening to this thing again, it's not fair to the woman that you're judging her based on another woman's actions to you. That is true. That is true. And so you should be sympathetic to what you're going through and understand why you have trust issues and, and you need to take it slow and that's why it's best not to have sex because sex blinds you, of course. And you should take it slow and all that. She should be sympathetic to that. But ultimately, it is unfair to her that you're judging her based on your experiences with other women. But at the same time, you still don't know if she's going to change. For Einstein has that quote, right? A man, a woman, spends the rest of the marriage wondering what happened to that woman. And 
look, we, we are going to change. I'm going to change. You're going to change. We're all going to change. So the question is, can we change together? And can it be a marriage that is stable? Look, romanticism has destroyed marriage. And romanticism in marriage has only existed since the Victorian era, about 150 years. Before that, it was like, you know, uh, my parents or family were all lined up. And similar values, similar faith, similar interests. Lots of times it was economic. You were going to marry somebody, especially if you're a woman that elevated your family's uh, prospects. And same for, for same for men. Men would not like a husband, a father would not allow a man to marry a beautiful opera star if she had no money and didn't have good standing. So romanticism came and destroyed that because now it's like, oh, it's got to be somebody I love and gives me the pitter patterns, going to change me and make me feel good. And you see this demonstrated, of course, in Disney, right? This person's going to change me and I'm unhappy, but being with this person, they'll make me happy forever, right? But that's what romanticism has done. I think the old model was much better. Like our Indian arranged marriages still kind of do this. Yeah, um, I don't love you, but I trust my family. You seem like you believe in gender norms, you're a traditionalist, you're a virgin, you have good virtue, blah, 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 blah. And I will learn to love you when we're in marriage. But we know we're not going anywhere. And I think that can be kind of transferred over to, to Western marriages in that you need to understand, like, there's, there could be not, there's some very good marriages but there's going to be months if not years that your spouse isn't going to like you and vice versa you're not going to like them there's going to be periods maybe where you don't find her attractive or she's nagging too much and blah, blah, blah. some of that is your fault maybe because you're not passing shit tests and maintaining fame but there, there needs to be this mindset and it's a mindset that we used to have we take vows, it says, and it's in front of God, it's in the eyes of God, we're married until death. No matter what happens, we're going to make this work. And many of these marriages actually get stronger because of problems in the marriage and fidelity, and they work it out. And they just look at each other like, we're, we're, in, we're in for the long haul, we need to find ways to be, like being around each other, and hanging out together, and occasionally having sex when we're in the 50s and 60s. But... I'm not going anywhere, you're not going anywhere. And that's the kind of a mindset we have. You have to have the old mindset. But unfortunately, because of online dating and because of feminism and kind of the instant gratification culture, it's like as soon as I'm not happy with you, I will find a justification to leave you and, and break up the family and find somebody else. It's the siren song of dating now, right? I'm no longer, you're no longer going to be giving me the pitter patter feeling. So I'm going to divorce you and find somebody else. I mean, men did this for centuries, right? You're no longer hot. I'm going to go find a 22-year-old. Now you see women doing it. And this is why marriage falls. So if you can find a woman, and again, you don't pay attention to what they say. You pay attention to their actions and their past actions. So if you can find a woman who's truly a unicorn, and again, it goes back to the question, is marriage worth the risk? And I cannot answer that question for you. You cannot answer that question for me. We're all in different situations in our life. That's ultimately something you can answer. 
there is going to be commonality. You meet a new woman, of course it's natural that the unicorn build and start going, no walt, no walt, no walt. But maybe it's a walt, a walt, a walt. You guys are right on the lecture. So, in closing, once you find a woman and you're vetting her, you have to see, is this woman likely to leave? Is this woman have mental health problems? Is she on a hundred prescription drugs for just regular physical problems? Because you marry her, you marry her illness, just like women, you marry the man, you marry his illness. And ultimately, I think most men, not incels, because incels can't get women, but most men who can get women are on this red pill, I should say, or on this ambivalent struggle. And I think if you're religious, Certainly, if you're religious and you're practicing chastity and you're not having sex unless you're married, I think you're leaning even more toward remarrying. Because the good book and the churches will teach you that marriage is good, and of course, that fornication is bad. Now, some of the atheists say, you think the church controls you, the church is going to make you make a mistake. I mean, you can look at it that way, and there's Christians who are retort to that. But ultimately, it's your decision. So I would tell you this. The two questions you need to figure out is, is marriage worth the risk for you? Because that's really specific to you, because we all have specific conditions and natures in this, in this moment in your life. You know, I'm 48, you can be 32 with no kids. You know, it, it, it's all different. So is marriage worth it? The risk. And know what state you're in, you might have to pay out money or whatever. If you live in the Philippines where there's no divorce, maybe that's great. Maybe marriage is worth the risk. So is marriage worth the risk? And then align that up with the woman that you're thinking about marrying and really vet her. And ultimately, that's your decision. And look, in closing, nobody should shame you either way. If you're with a woman and you decide, no, I can't marry her, no, I just, it, I can't. I can't. No one should be like, oh, you broke her heart. vice versa. Let's say you decide to marry, and you have rope of friends. You're like, you, you said the Faustian pact. Oh, my God. Neither way you should judge people. Pray, vet, and ask for discernment. And ultimately, whatever happens, via conscience, may God be with you. And I hope things work out. Whether you stay in Lake Tower, like level four Lake Tower, or whether you sign the Faustian Pact. Guys, if you appreciate my content, please post an honest review. It only takes you five seconds. If you have an Apple product, there's two links in the episode notes. One's for PayPal. If you want to make a donation, you have to find the cost of hosting this on the server. And the other one is for Naturopathic Earth, the link, the, the, the website that has all my content. And lastly, please subscribe and follow to the three channels Confessions of an Obi Child, Female, Listed Health, Apothecary, and The Awakened Man. Until next time, take care, God bless, and pray. Thank you for listening to the Awakened Man Podcast. Find us on Facebook at the Awakened Man Podcast page. Subscribe and post an honest review on Apple Podcasts and consider donating to our crowdfunding account. And remember, freedom is better than needle. Until next time.